Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. We hope that the time you spend with us is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas and, most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Life Guides. You know, Life Guides offers a community of trained and certified guides who provide guidance in over 400 topics of personal growth, like lifelong learning, life challenges, finance, and of course, anxiety. They have strategic people there to lend their experience across all these different industries. By providing employees with experience and empathetic support across the broadest range of everyday life events, employees lead happier and more productive lives, both at home and at work. They have a mission at Life Guides to grow the community for sharing life experience with wisdom and empathy, and they want to impact over a billion people's lives in the next 15 years. They're modernizing human support and human connection, which is foundational to well-being. So, because you're listening to our podcast, you get two months of free access for you and your team. All you have to do is punch in code 2422 at checkout. What a great deal, right, Adrian? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Our guest today is our new friend, Justin Bethany. Justin has a private practice as a psychiatric nurse practitioner in Bend, Oregon. He primarily focuses on those who are functional but suffering with emotional distress, such as anxiety, mood disorders, or ADHD. He graduated from the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute of Health Professionals and in 2020 published a book entitled The Mental Wellness Diet, Ancient Wisdom, Evolving Science, and Modern Day Options. Welcome to the show, Justin. We're delighted to have you on our podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. This is great. And we're, I've been excited to, to talk with you today because, you know, your book is based on the idea that if we feed our brain the nutrients it craves, we'll be able to, you know, better function at our best, whether at work or elsewhere, we'll feel better. And I must admit, this is one area that I do not do well in. And so you say many of the nutrients our brains need are completely missing in our modern day diets, probably mine more than any. So walk us through what we should eat to feel better, what we should avoid. Give us give us an overview of this idea. Great. Well, you know, I, I've listened to the podcast before and, and you guys talk, um, you always introduced, actually ask your guests to talk about religion and politics. But I would put, <laughs> I would put food third, you know, changing somebody's yeah, yeah. diet is really hard. So, you know, the this the audience that I'm after is people who are uh, functional but suffering, who are kind of get through the day, who can read a book and try to make some changes. But, you know, they're dealing with a lot of anxiety and mood issues and focus problems, all, all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not as dogmatic, maybe a little bit more agnostic. And, uh, you know, I just want to use people to use a common sense approach. So what you can focus on with this book is uh, the concept of nutrient density. For every bite of food that you put in your mouth, how much, how many different and how much nutrients is kind of jam-packed in there. And you kind of want um, maybe efficiency or the highest concentration of nutrients. And so certain foods offer that. Uh, certain foods uh, do poorly at that. So it, it's not too much of a surprise. Um, the foods that I focus on in this book are actually animal meats. Um, so that's kind of like steak and chicken breast and things like that. Then shellfish and fish. 
there's a lot of nutrients in organ meats, which many people, you know, never really grew up eating. So to them, it's kind of gross. Luckily, there's various supplements you can kind of use to help if, you know, the flavors of liver and kidney and uh, heart is, is too much for you. Um, also, fermented foods, <clears throat> sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles, all those kinds of things. These uh, foods provide the highest concentration of the exact nutrients, which our bodies and especially our brains need to function. These, you know, it's interesting, Justin, you talk about meats right out of the gate. And so many people we talk to about health and whatnot, they say stay away from hmm? meats, you know, get the vegan sort of diet and whatnot. Um, do you get some pushback on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, again, you know, I, I try not to be too pushy. I think the balance of it is um, at least two or three times a week because their meat offers a, a big concentration of nutrients. I think there was uh, two guys in England, the two twins who did a study where one did like a keto diet and the other did a vegan diet. And after six months, the guy who did the vegan, the twin who did the vegan diet was in better shape. But, you know, I think there's an argument for over the long term, the vegan diet doesn't provide these nutrients. And at some point, the vegan diet may not provide, unless you're supplementing, enough of the nutrients that, again, your brain and your neurons and other parts of your body need to function. I think we should... You know, go ahead. yeah, I'm, I'm going to speak up for Adrian here. Um, where does Diet Pepsi rate in your nutrient? Uh, he, he is addicted well, to get Well, maybe get to what we should avoid, and maybe that's in there, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not on the list. It's not. It's, it's not it doesn't awesome. make the list. Um, well, well, can I just define what a nutrient is? Yes, that'd be great. A vitamin, a mineral, uh, protein, amino acids, protein factors, uh, certain fats like omega-3s. And what these often what these uh, vitamins and minerals and nutrients do is they accelerate a normal body process. They're, they're cofactors and coenzymes. And so they speed up and they accelerate things that need to happen. And for mental health, that could be the creation of serotonin and dopamine, or maybe the elimination of them. It could be uh, making sure the membranes of one neuron helps communicate to the membrane of another neuron and, um, you know, blood sugar balance and all these different things. So if, you know, you can look at nutrients in a way, I try to get the reader excited about accelerating your function through nutrition. Yeah. Now, you also talk about the kinds of stimulation that our brains crave, not just the food and whatnot that are also absent, you know, in the modern world. And maybe we're getting the wrong kinds of environmental stimulation or environmental toxicity, uh, lack of community and support from other and other forms of psychological stress that push our human brains to the limits. So what do we do about what's missing and, and what's too much? Well, um for too much, you know, I, I, I don't think I coined the term, but I use the term exceptionalism in the book. I think uh, if you Wikipedia exceptionalism, that relates to a person or a nation feeling that they're better. I think in my book, exceptionalism refers to this habit that we all have that we feel like we should be better. Kind of not quite there yet, but need to get there. And that's a, a big state of tension to be under to know that you need to be further ahead, but you're not quite there. And some of those, um, how this relates to the toxicity is social media, physical appearance, money, other kinds of forms of status. Um, those things can go too far, obviously. I mean, I, I think you've had 
plenty of guests talk about that. The kinds of lifestyle stimulation that we need would be sunlight, movement, community, uh, breathing. Breathing is actually deeper inhales and deeper exhales, sleep. And then um, I would put down meaning and purpose as well as identity, you know, finding out who you are. That's, you know, I love where you're going with that, those ideas that they're, they're very simple, but we, we sometimes miss the simple things in our lives. And, and so can I get into the idea of simple? You know, you, one of the subtitles of your book is Ancient Wisdom. So I, I read that and I went, well, wait a minute, aren't we smarter than the hunter-gatherers? Aren't we, haven't we learned more <laughs> yet than, you know, people in ancient Egypt that died at 30 of, of dysentery? I mean, you know, aren't we any smarter yet? So what did people generations ago know that we've maybe forgotten? Well, I, I think we are smarter. I think that's kind of part of the problem. <laughs> you know, I think uh, too smart for our own good. Is that what you're telling us? Uh, Justin? Kind of, yeah, you know, I'm not, I wasn't there, so I'm not really sure what they knew, but I kind of knew, I know what, I think we all know what they didn't know. You know, they didn't know what they could become, you know, uh, uh, senior VP of the Western district for sales or the under, you know, what is it? The assistant to the traveling secretary for the New York Yankees. <laughs> they didn't know they could become these things, so they didn't put so much mental effort and energy into these external measurements, which is what we do a lot. So food-wise, what did they do that was uh, maybe, you know, we should be thinking about? They ate together. You know, it was, it was really communal. Um, the kind of why start many several fires to cook food when you can just have one and gather? socialize you know uh, when we're at work you know many of us don't eat but we eat at our desks or we don't eat uh, we're, or we we're at the break room but we just have our head in our phone you know we miss out on that community it's it's not always what you eat it sometimes it's how you eat you know I, I i'm really interested in having you flesh out a little more of this idea of community you know so many people feel isolated you know i lived in new york for years and and worked in the city, and it was so interesting. You'd see all these people, and the expression was, you could be terribly alone in the middle of millions of people. You know, I mean, everybody's around you, and yet no one's connected. You talk about eating together and have that community. How important is it for us to have communities over and above uh, workplace? You know, you've talked about family. What, about, what are other organizations that maybe people are missing? Um, we're seeing, for example, let's get back to uh, faith and politics because we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, fewer people are going to church. There used to be like the Knights of Columbus, you know, there was the, the Water Buffalo uh, Club in one of the, the sitcoms. These, you know, that, that we had before where we would gather and we've stopped doing that. Is that part of mental health as well and and that kind of stimulate to be along this i don't think the flintstones was purpose. a sitcom by the way but uh, but it's okay yeah. <laughs> it was a documentary <laughs> documentary yeah i'm more of a documentary yeah, yeah. I, i'm not sure if you've seen the ted talk or the study about i think it's the harvard business school study that's been running 70 years and yes, the guy, the guy just mentioned talk. this to me. But yeah, talk actually, about he's that part guy. of the hundred coaches. Yeah, he's we we have actually uh, uh, the the leader of that program's in our hundred coaches. He's he's on most more Monday mornings with with Marshall Goldsmith and us. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Cool. Yeah, you guys should definitely have him on. So I think you know his presentation was about um, what what factors lead to they would you know follow these graduates for forever until they passed. 
and you know uh, they ask them all these questions about their life and what factor uh, was associated most with uh, the individuals who had the highest rates of happiness and life satisfaction and it was the the quality of their relationships so for sure you know I think this is gets back that's why I wrote about uh, expectations and accepting your human limitations kind of aiming a little lower in life uh, you know focusing on the here and now these are all you know, subsections of my chapter on stress in the book, because I think that, um, you know, you walk up to somebody in New York City, it's like, oh, yeah, what do you do for work? So there is automatically a little bit of a distance or, you know, kind of back on your heels because you need to have a good answer. And if you don't, you may not feel worth that person's time. Tell me if you guys have had that experience. Yeah, it's almost like you say, what do you do? I'm the assistant to the traveling secretary for the, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, you make up because our job title becomes who we are. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. I have a, a good friend who grew up in, in France and he'd say, you know, you Americans are so interesting. If you ask a Frenchman or you ask an Italian, you know, what do you do? They'll say, oh, I grow my own grapes and I, I sing opera and I write poetry. Uh, all Americans ever do is give you their job title. And there's that dis disconnect between work and, and life and, you know, what is your life really worth? So I'm really fascinated by your by your take on this, the importance of community. You also talked about, you know, purpose, mm -hmm. having a purpose-driven uh, life. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, in a section, I, I dared to write, um, you know, my four-step process in defining your purpose. And basically, it's about, you know, find what irritates you in the world. Uh, or makes you sad, you know, homeless or, you know, animals or, you know, kids with autism or bullying or suicide, you know, find what really makes you feel something in your chest cavity, a discomforting feeling and uh, see what you can do about it. You know, it's probably going to be maybe your pet project probably won't be your full time job, but see what you can do about it. You know, that passion uh, plus your own unique skills and abilities will you will be able to make some progress and uh, I liken it to golf or skateboarding you know two sports that you'll never master which is a gift because it'll never be over you'll always be pushing for more and you know um, you know find something that's hard and that goes against the grain because you know then you won't have competition nobody else will want to do it I've never really thought about that. That's, yeah, because there are things on the, the nightly news that I go, okay, I don't want to listen to this. I'm not even – and what, a, what an interesting thought, Justin, to say that's probably something that you should be helping with. I mean, wow, that's powerful. Hey, how can people learn more about your work, Justin? Where would you send them? Well, you know, first I'd like to say uh, that I, uh, people like me are everywhere. You know, this podcast is – your listeners are managers and employees, people who work, who have anxiety. And so who am I um, – you know, I have an office. I got, you know, nice little view. You come by, we talk. Um, I think your problems are important. You know, many of the patients that I feel, as they're bringing up their stress in work, they, they kind of preface it like, well, you know, it's not really a big deal. They think their problems maybe are kind of small. I don't think so. You know, I went to school for almost 20 years to be here for them, for you right now. And so um, go ahead and, and seek one of me out. There's one of me everywhere. A great resource is, I don't have any connection with them, but Psychology Today has a directory for therapists and psychiatrists. You know, they're up there because they have openings. And so um, that's a great resource. Uh, and then, you know, therapy sucks to go in 
it's not really comfortable, but you usually feel 10 pounds lighter when you leave. And as you experience that, you know, this is for your listeners, um, you know, you're, you're on the right path. So that's who I am in a way uh, for myself. Uh, so I wrote this book. It's for sale on Amazon. I have a website. I try to do blogs as, as much as I can. Uh, I try to do Instagram posts, which are educational and funny. And then, um, you know, if, if you don't really have the time or uh, you don't like to read, uh, on my website, you can download a free ebook. And I think that would be a great resource. It gives you the gist of the book. It gives you a few recipes and it's free. Um, kind of no, I'll, will haunt you the rest of your life with marketing emails, but it, it's free. <laughs> of course. So what website is that? Give us the website. Thementalwellnessdiet.com. Excellent. So you talk about a discipline, you know, with the dieting and, and so on. What are some of the things that you counsel people so that they can stick to it? You know, Adrian, in our executive coaching, we talk about courage, humility, and then, of course, that third one, which is discipline, the hardest part, right? You get the plan. Can you stick to it? Do you have any, any guidance for, uh, or tips as to how people can stick to the plan? Sure. You know, I think, again, kind of to the uh, exceptionalism, you know, people in their minds bite off a lot more than they can chew or they, they kind of make it a big, big goal and don't necessarily chunk it down. Um, you know, there's the, I don't know who said, you guys can tell me who said um, you can't manage what you don't measure. Somebody. I think that was Adrian. Yeah. Michael Scott. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure exactly. Yeah. But it's an adage. You know, um, I offer, I actually encourage my patients to do like little devices or track their diet, you know, little bits where they can kind of log in and, and check and, and try different things and then see some more immediate feedback. And it makes it fun, you know, and, and fun is it's got to be fun to kind of keep into it. So uh, learning new recipes, tracking somehow you know, focusing on improving your sleep or exercise or how far you run. Uh, you know, we're all, we're, we as humans are seeking creatures. And yeah, this is part of the book. We're, we're dopamine driven animals and we are always seeking to be driven towards something rewarding. You know, even maybe a couch potato who plays video games, well, he's after a high score. Or, you know, people like yourselves who are really successful in, in pushing themselves you know, you're definitely driven. We can't exist without the drive. It's, it's actually part of the dopamine circuitry. It's part of the brain machine. So, you know, kind of engage that seeking and, and challenging and make it kind of achievable and have fun with it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You just, you know, mentioned uh, sleep, too. You know, as a nurse practitioner, you, you know, you, you, you prescribe, you, you think of this, uh, you know, you probably weren't trained in uh, maybe CBT, et cetera. I, I'm just reading a book called, I think it's called Say Goodnight to Insomnia. And it's really interesting because my doctor said, uh, you know, hey, you know, you're taking melatonin and stuff, you know, think about some healthy ways to sleep. So I think what, you know, what you're leading us toward is some, maybe some more holistic ways of looking at health. And that can be really, really, I think, very efficacious here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, number one overall, and, you know, not the B vitamins, not the omega-3s, not even really sleep. You know, I think the healthiest thing you can do for yourself is to find out who you are. Uh, and it, which is our identity. And, you know, our identity really helps us weather storms, kind of deal with other people's bad behavior, accept our own shortcomings, kind of persist in the face of adversity. 
you know, if we know who we are, it's really great. Um, I sent over a link for uh, the VIA Institute, Virtues and Actions, uh, viacharacter.org offers free questionnaires and it's like a personality test. It kind of gives you your strengths, your character strengths. Um, you know, mine are social intelligence, creativity, perspective, humor, and love of learning. If you read the book, you I mean, all of that will come through. The book was really painstaking and a lot of sacrifice and part of me wishes I never really wrote it, but cause it really took a big chunk out of me, but it is me. It's absolutely me. And so it made all of that stress and angst and anxiety worth it. That's great. You know, we, we tie a lot of things back to our work with anxiety at work, especially for people in leadership positions. So what can you tell us about the subject and how leaders can help those in their care to, um, you know, handle and live, live with their anxiety and, and lower anxiety levels in the workplace? What tips have you got for managers and leaders? Well, yeah, actually, I have a lot to say about this. You know, um, I guess first we can establish my authority. I'm not in the boardroom. I'm not sea level. I'm not in a cubicle. Uh, but I am in the room where all of those people come to talk, finally talk about their anxiety. And, you know, so I kind of have maybe, I guess, an inside scoop. Um, you know, I think for a leader, it's important to understand uh, that anxiety occurs on a spectrum. To be, uh, to be diagnosed, you have to meet a certain severity. It has to impair your functioning and it has to cause you distress. You know, if you know, if I was really nervous for this talk and I threw up in the toilet, but I was really excited about the talk, you know, I wouldn't be distressed and I wouldn't be impaired functioning. I would just have anxiety. You know, if you've ever had too much coffee or been late for a meeting, you've everyone has anxiety. Everyone has it. Uh, it not everybody reaches the point to a diagnosis, but everybody has it. You know, it's safe for a, to leadership that there is uh, when you enter a hierarchy, there's an automatic tension. You know, if you read uh, Robert Sapolsky's work, he talks about there's the alpha and they have the lowest amount of cortisol stress hormone levels. And then every other beta below the alpha all has way more than the alpha. You know, if, if you're under somebody, there's a tension there. And so, you know, I think managers can start out, you know, an employee starts for the first day. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're experiencing anxiety. Maybe you are too, but uh, just to understand that. Um, and I think, you know, the environment matters. I, I, I read part of your book, or the first part, and, you know, the, uh, when a manager exhibits uh, the tight grip or uncertainty um, or lack of communication or feedback or they're inactive, they don't like take the action initiative, that's going to create anxiety. You know, I think a great question for leaders to ask themselves is if, if a person has anxiety at work, who owns it? Obviously, the, the individual owns the anxiety, but where's the balance of ownership and responsibility uh, with the manager? I think just asking that question of yourself would be helpful. Some final pieces. I think, you know, everybody's in middle management, too. Even if you're, you know, C-level, you still have to report to the board. Even, I guess, if you're in the board, you you have shareholders. Sure. Everybody's in middle management. I, I would recommend that um, if you're a manager or a leader, be a servant to those who, who are below you. Kind of like uh, that Olympic sport curling. You know, just remove the barriers. Get everything out of the way. <laughs> Break up the silos. You know, work to do whatever. And then, you know, there's going to be shenanigans uh, for upper management, you know, 
sometimes upper management throw tantrums and have little fits and, you know, really dramatic. I think for the people above you as a leader, you need to see them as your human equal. Great advice. I, I think he's throwing in the curling thing there because he knows yeah. we grew up in Canada. Yeah, I think so. And actually, <laughs> I, I remember learning how to play uh, or learning how to curl in uh, in high school. Actually, that was one of our uh, <laughs> things we did. Yeah, a required course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're always interested in in, in the self care tactics of successful people like you, Justin. So walk us through a few practices that you found personally maybe can help you thrive that we can learn from you. Well, I kind of took my own advice in the book. You know, writing the book, I was really trying to be exceptional myself, wasn't I? So uh, in writing the book and then reading it, I realized that I kind of needed to practice a bit more self-forgiveness and uh, permission. So, you know, um, life balance is important and, and I would work hard and then come home to my family, but uh, I would, my mind would still be stuck in work zone and, and you know, or stuck in my phone. Uh, I found that I had to kind of create a, a transitional routine or a transitional activity, you know, something to kind of mentally say, okay, it's time to stop thinking about this and it's okay. It, I'll get it done eventually. So, uh, you know, walking around the block or, uh, just playing with my kids, um, different things or changing my clothes even sometimes out of my work clothes into shorts or something like that was really helpful. Um, and then, you know, uh, right now I got uh, a sleep tracker, an aura ring, and uh, tracking my diet just for fun. And, um, you know, what I was saying before about the little challenges to think, you know, to see, to because we're seeking creatures, I need something to kind of move forward on always. And uh, instead of work, I chose something related to my health. That's excellent. Hey, we're talking to Justin Bethany. He's the author of The Mental Wellness Diet. Ancient Wisdom, Evolving Science, and Modern Day Options. If you wanted our listeners to walk away with one or two things from the conversation today, Justin, what would they be? Well, I think, you know, our, our brains are um, amazing. They're really amazing meaning-making machines. As we experience life, we, can, we have this narrator who's there along with us really making all kinds of meaning. But, you know, that's the bad news. That's the bad news because often... Um, fear enters, you know, fear is there to protect us. And so we're always kind of a little bit afraid and that's kind of normal. And so uh, as we're making meaning and we can't help it, you know, fear kind of invades that meaning that we make. And so we just got to check ourselves on that one and take a break. Yeah, I think the solution is to kind of get back into the present moment and get back in our bodies periodically um, or go to therapy. Because, you know, when you go to therapy and you say something out loud, when it's when it's in your mind and you're saying it to yourself in your mind, it sounds totally real. But then when you say it out loud, it's like, uh oh, that's that's not, <laughs> you know. So um, that's not right. Yeah, you know the yeah. you know the balance of opposites. You know, work really hard, but then also rest really hard. Excellent. This has been a delightful conversation. Thanks so much for your time, Justin. I know you're going to impact a lot of people that listen to the podcast in managing their mental health and their anxiety. So thanks so much. Yeah, you got it. Well, Chess, another great guest. Um, didn't really know what to expect with food and how it impacts our <laughs> our brains, but it's it is the no brainer. What we put in will create whether stress or anxiety or calm, right? Yeah, you know it's so funny as he's talking about that. I'm thinking, you know, my wife Heidi 
we were a little low on food, and so I was looking for something, and I'm thinking, okay, he said, what, every every bite you put in I just ate like a bowl of cinnamon toast sugared cereal. I'm thinking it's probably like the worst thing in the world I could have eaten for my brain and for, for my body. I, he did, you know, he got into the ancient foods. He goes, you know, like kidney and brain and heart yeah. and stuff and, and liver. And I'm like, yeah, we do not eat that anymore. <laughs> no, it no. doesn't sound. And then he, then he gave us the out. And then there are supplements. I'm like, okay, now you're talking. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I will take the supplements, but I'm not eating kidney pie. That's not happening. You know? <laughs> no, I thought it was really terrific. And then we got into some other ideas. And boy, this was really powerful. I think uh, just as you know, I mentioned during our conversation, what makes you uncomfortable may be your mission. And uh, wow, that was something that kind of, you know, really gave me pause is there are things that are very hard out there. And are we doing something about it? Um, you know, a different way of looking at the world. Yeah, rather than just worry about it, you know, do something about it. Yeah. He, he said, look, one of the best things you can do to lower your anxiety is figure out who you are. Yeah. And, you know, that's where therapy really does come in to play, yeah. I think, when you have someone you can talk it through. You know, somebody that's there to listen. I love when he said, look, I've spent 20 years in school so that I can be here for you. You think your problems are small. I don't think they're small. You know, let's talk it through. Let's figure out who you are. And it's it's the age-old question, right? Who are you? I mean, the, the who <laughs> had a song. Who are you? <laughs> you know, ooh, 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 ooh. So I, I think that is one of the great takeaways for me is to yeah. continue to have that self-reflection. Who we are, what's our purpose, what's really important to us. Right, exactly. Why, you know, why do we get up every day and do what we do? What is our purpose? And if you haven't thought through that, it really is an interesting exercise. Um, and then secondly, um, you know, what is the, you know, what is the, you know, what, you know, not just our purpose and our mission, but really what are our values? It's amazing how often... Um, you know, leaders will tell us, you know, when we say, well, tell me a time that your, le- your values have been challenged. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Yeah. And they really haven't yeah. thought through their values. Yeah, yeah. And, and on that leadership um, conversation, it was really interesting when he said, who owns the anxiety in the workplace? You know, as, you would, as a leader, are you rippling anxiety through your workforce? Who owns that and who's causing that anxiety? You, you and I were talking to an organization just a little while ago about how to manage anxiety. And, and one of the leaders said, what do you do about the guy that causes the anxiety? Have you got any help for him? We said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to take that offline. So owning the anxiety in the workplace and, and remedying that, I thought, was a wonderful insight. Because we don't ask right. ourselves these simple questions, right? Yeah. And I think the last takeaway for me was, and there's so many, but, you know, this idea of self-forgiveness, um, you know, we just, we, our minds get stuck in, uh, in the zone of negativity and, uh, it's okay to stop thinking about, you know, these, these negative transactional things. Um, so, you know, can we get ourselves to rewire our brains to think more positively? Right. And my last takeaway is the quality of relationships, you know, to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with good people, that you're part of an organization that's about doing good. You know, uh, that study, that 70 year study at Harvard, uh, happiness was equated to the quality of their relationships. So surround yourself with good people. Well, hey, listen, uh, whenever you have a chance to spend 30 minutes with Adrian Gostick, you can't pass that up. So (laughs) I really appreciate it. Of course, we want to give a shout out to all of you that give us your time 
that uh, tune into the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, if you think it's helpful, please share it with a friend. Give us a rating. Uh, let us know how we're doing. And um, and download the podcast and share it with your friends. Uh, another thing, uh, just a simple help, our, our wonderful book, Anxiety at Work. There are eight strategies in there to, to help you uh, manage your stress. And then, Adrian, run down the names of the wonderful people that make this podcast <laughs> well, possible. thanks. We want to do thank our producer, Brent Klein, who does such an amazing job of putting this all together, to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find amazing guests like Justin, and to all of you who listen in and download and, and listen as you're walking or commuting or, or, or going somewhere in your, uh, in your journey. And don't forget, we've got a wonderful online community called WeThriveTogether.Global, a safe place to talk about anxiety in the workplace. Adrian and I come in with little uh, video clips and tips, and, and we have a wonderful community there, so another resource for you. And lastly, we just want to thank our, our sponsor, Life Guides. You know, when you talk about managing stress and managing your life, what better way to do it than to have a guide to walk you through that? They've got over 400 uh, subjects they can give you a guide to help you through, whether it be financial, uh, physical, anxiety, and so on. And for listening to our podcast, when you check out, you can get two months free for you and your team by simply putting in the code 2422 at checkout. Adrian, 30 minutes of fun. Thanks so much. It really was really an insightful and uh, you know time to spend with Justin. And thank you everybody for joining us today. So until next time, we will wish you the best of mental health. Take care and be well. Mm-hmm.